Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with music therapist Jackie Roberts on exploring attachment issues with music therapy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you here from Chaddock. And today, we are going to have another guest who is part of our ongoing series related to the use of creative arts therapies in attachment-based work. And uh, we are going to be interviewing a music therapist today. Her name is Jacqueline Robarts. She is based in London. And I have just been so impressed with a lot of the wonderful work that she has been writing about. I came across her for the first time, I think, when I was reading the book Creative Arts and Play Therapy for Attachment Problems. That's a book edited by um, Malchiotti and Crenshaw. And after that, I was so intrigued by all that she was writing about that I began to seek out other papers she has written. So let me tell you a little bit about Jackie. She is a former clinical tutor at the Nordoff Robbins Music Therapy Center in London, as well as a lecturer in theoretical studies at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama Music Therapy. She has been a music therapist, teacher, and supervisor for over 40 years with both um, in-person and international online teaching and supervision practice, as well as improvisation techniques is another area that she provides a lot of teaching and coaching in. She specializes in work with children and parents where there's been attachment difficulties, early trauma, specifically maltreatment and domestic violence. She's also worked with eating disorders and autism. She works with children, adolescents, and adults. She draws from psychoanalytic, developmental, and attachment theory, as well as trauma theory. So she has published lots of journal articles. And in 2023, she has a book releasing called Symbolic Play and Creative Arts and Music Therapy with Children and Families. So please stay tuned and Jackie Roberts will be coming right up to talk with us about her work. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm here again with Jackie Roberts, music therapist, to continue our discussion about music therapy, its use in working with attachment-related problems, difficulties, challenges, and I'm so excited to dive deeper into this. Thank you so much for being here, Jackie. Yes. So, you know, when we ended our previous discussion, you brought up narrative and you brought up coherency and containment. And um, I was thinking about this um, 
I have another quote here that you say um, song can bring forth emotions and images as autobiographical narrative from both pre-verbal and visceral levels. And, you know, this idea of autobiographical narrative being coherent, I mean, that, that's the whole thing here. Like, I mean, I'm very into the adult attachment interview and, and, and trained in scoring that. I mean, it's all about, it's not what happened to you, it's the coherency at, at which you have, you know, of course, in the AI, we're measuring that by language. But I was so intrigued by this idea about how music brings um, coherence to the chaos of this internal narrative and this implicit wordless experience. Yeah, it's it's an extraordinary phenomenon. I, I, I like just perhaps to say that, that um, maybe this is behind um, rap music, where kids often living in very difficult circumstances and in a considerable chaos in their lives and lostness um, find order and a way to release pretty intense feelings and words in autobiographical narratives in song, in sort of rap song. Yes. Um, it's, uh, and, and I'd like to come back to uh, the phenomenon of the shared beat, Karen. It's the shared beat, which is found in mother-infant, parent-infant communication. And it was actually one of the things that pioneer music therapists Nordoff and Robbins, who began their research in uh, Philadelphia, they were in um, Bertram Ruddenberg's um, uh, center, which is, I think, Center for Autism now, it's a different um, name then. And they were doing uh, uh, some NIMH-funded uh, research um, and on, on improvisational music therapy, or they called it creative music therapy. And one of the phenomena that they found in their improvised, co-improvised, co let's say, relationships with children with considerable disabilities was the shared beat. And if it wasn't there, that was one of the things they were trying to cultivate through spontaneous play. And uh, so when you set the beat, and often you'll hear before a song sung, uh, you'll hear the, the drummer giving a one, two, three, four in, you know, and all these reality shows and so on as well. Mm -hmm. well in music therapy, where you can, you know, to talk about uh, a, a child's difficulties um, may not be the best way in for them, or it may not have worked with uh, in, in other forms of therapy. Um, often, I might e I'll just set a beat, and it might even be just a very slight tapping of the, my my hand, sort of inadvertent almost. Um, a set of beat. And if I want to do it more, if a child's coming in and they're ready, how I set a beat, the, the, the texture, the harmonies, whether I'm doing it from the piano in a sort of diatonic, um, you know, major, minor key way, or, uh, or I might be using an instrument which had more uh, modal inflections, um, 
I'm a pianist by training, so I, I wish I could play instruments that uh, were not to the tempered scale, you know. But nevertheless, I know how to use Arabic scales and all the different modes, and that might set a different tonality. So the beat then becomes, if you like, the, the, the carpet under their feet. And often it's that, at this implicit level of relating, that then helps the child feel okay and they set off in their imagination and some children many children have impressed me extraordinary impressed in the sense of surprised and uh, led me on a journey with the, the the poetic delivery of their life story i have several children i can think of straight away like that often phrasing it beautifully it's not rehearsed it's, it just happens. You're giving them the right. You've matched the feeling rather like in a film score, except the big difference in therapy, as you, you will know too, of course, is you don't know what's going to happen. Okay. Right. Maybe some structured sessions, but if you're doing a, a, a child-led session, you really don't know what's going to emerge. So one of the tools of therapy, certainly in music therapy, is... Uh, setting a beat um, and yes. uh, uh, and the other thing is allowing the work to progress in metaphor so it's not with a child's actual life but allowing them to speak through their imaginations um, one was a haunted house uh, yeah. a very familiar theme for kids at school and so on but I hadn't introduced it and this girl maybe she was doing this but she effectively told a story with, where there were a lot of things that she wouldn't have known consciously but that she referred to in this very very long ballad if you like about good and evil um, it was an extraordinary unfolding um, of sort of somewhere between her unconscious and her conscious self. So this bridging of the internal reality and the external reality is something that I've been uh, very uh, sort of interested in and um, how can I say, drawn, drawn into trying to learn more about. I think music and the, all the arts are both inner and outer. They have an internal experience and then they have the external expression. Of yes. That. Yes. Well, I've also, you know, was thinking in reading your articles, it's just, I mean, the, the basic levels of the brain, if, if we just, the most primitive idea, the back brain, mid brain cortex, and, you know, how music is going into these lower levels of the brain. And, you know, of course, we talked about, you know, implicit memory and memories that we can't give in at least initially maybe never maybe it doesn't matter a, a, a word narrative of and I love this phrase um I really haven't seen these two words together before surprisingly it seems like you would experiential integration you know because I think about that all the time with theraplay like I'm not we're not talking about what happened to you but we're giving you this whole different experience than what happened to you as 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 a way to 
impact your internal working model. Um, but I, so I think of it as experiential and I think of it is integrating, but I didn't really put those two words together. I loved how you wrote about that. Um, that's what, you know, that can really be where it's at. It's this experiential. Well, it is where it's at this experiential integration. I loved that. Thank you. I I think what we do also is it's um, as much our listening and understanding as we listen, our taking in without saying anything. You know, Mm. you and I, we've been there. We've known a lot of children and children feel that and they know they're being heard in a way that that is also them being understood and so they will uh, let it go. I, I'm not saying that parents don't do this. They do. Um, but some aren't able to, which is often why, why they refer um, uh, children to therapy. And, of course, we work with parents and children where possible. Sadly, I've, you know, I've sometimes not been able to work with parents because they're the abuser of a child. Yes. yes. I've tried in some ways, if they're being worked with by uh, someone else, there may be some sort of communication, but that is that is very difficult. Or I will discover that maybe the mother, for instance, who did begin in therapy with her child, um, with me, uh, then is finding it too overwhelming. And what comes up from her unconscious, her autobiographical narrative. Yes is that she has had a very similar experience. And yes. so when we make special uh, arrangements, she can have some help. So mommy can have some uh, therapy help with, with a colleague and yes. for a while. And then when she feels a bit strong, it will, we'll meet up again. Yes. But, but yes. sometimes it's possible to work with both alongside. Remember using um, the, the story of the three little pigs? A very empowering story about when blowing the house down, you know, those three little pigs and the wolf, uh, the wolf is trying to eat them and the, the little pigs build, uh, one builds, a, I'm trying to remember it myself, a house of straw and a house of wood and then the one that stands up to everything is a house of bricks. Yes. Uh, and the house, you know, the, 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 the wolf huffed and he puffed and uh, he blew the house down. Um, and that story became very, very important with one uh, child and mum I'm thinking of, with mum having a very difficult experience. And we did manage to work through using that as a vehicle. So, so we're, we, we're sometimes working improvisationally into the unknown. And sometimes, as you've described, setting um, a structure like a row, row the boat or like yes. a story in which an, a narrative can, um, uh, can, can be worked through the, the, the working through that Freud spoke of. Yes. Yes. Well, that, that actually brings me to another question for listeners who are really unfamiliar with music therapy, such as I was, as I'm reading these case studies of yours, I kept finding myself thinking, do these children have a music background or do these people like, how do they just start doing? I know the answer is no. I mean, maybe with some of them, but I know the answer is no, like it's not, 
a criteria that you have to have a music background to come and work with you or something. But I, I was having a hard time piecing together. Like if they don't have any background or any familiarity with instruments or music, like how does this start to come together the way it does? Well, of course, we're doing this on the on the the premise that we're all musical and that that, that musicality is innate and it's a very strongly communicate has the properties of music. Yes, very strongly communicated at you know tone and rhythm and so on. So let's let me think of one of my first first ever people. He's a, a boy who's trying to jump uh, from a. Th- fifth floor flat in uh, uh, in London and he for all sorts of reasons very disturbed he's an inpatient he's called labeled a conduct disorder uh, and he's my first referral and oh my I, okay you're, you're really know. starting out <laughs> I know I know and there I am uh, uh, in in my my it's a, a converted nurse's office before I got my music therapy room. So I have a wash basin and there's an X-ray screen and there's but it's it's a decent size but probably not well enough sound attenuated. He comes in, he sees he's brought in by one of the the, the nurses, and is it you can't make me stay here? I'm stronger than you, he says. Um, and I, I sort of acknowledge that, and I say, yes, uh, I, I know he's stronger, much stronger than I am, uh, and I certainly can't make him stay here, but perhaps he'd just like to l- look at a few things. So there's some drums, there's some reed horns, which are just like the bell of a trumpet, there's some bird calls, which of course, sadly, we can't all use in these times of COVID um, blowing instruments, but they're yes. tremendously focusing and wonderful, and you're making a different noise with your mouth, as it were. And bird calls, nightingales, the duck, which is got a rather rude sound, which children all delight in. And uh, and there's a huge big Zildjian symbol. So he looks and actually thinks better of going away. That okay, <laughs> uh, he comes in. And he immediately goes to the bird calls. He then throws open the window and I think, oh my gosh, he could. And suddenly he demonstrates me gestures to be quiet. And he blows this nightingale, which he, I have to say he's filled up with water um, from the basin that isn't normally in a music therapy room. But yes, but is it a nursing office? <laughs> he, looks, he leans out the window um, that I thought he was going to escape through, and I'm thinking boundaries, safe play, all those things. Um, and he looks, and then is silent. And then he blows again, this trilling sound and water splashing all over this. And he listens again. And he does it a third time. And he listens again. And he turns around and he said, Miss, because he doesn't know my name yet, Miss, they're singing back. And he'd been playing and then listening to the birds outside and he said, they're singing back. And it was such a sweet, sensitive moment from this little, quite, quite uh, you know, frightening nine-year-old, I have to say, built like yes. a tank. Um, and I saw what sensitivity there was. That he was in control of it. It's, um, let's mention the word self-agency. Yes. In, in playing a something, something, an instrument, a child that is, is actually... Uh, in, 
making making something happen that he's entirely in control of is but is thank goodness um not destructive it actually he's sounding himself that's what instruments are about really i mean they don't uh, they don't feed you and they don't take you from a to b but instruments actually augment the sense of self and so that's partly he yes the birds had sung back but he had experienced himself in a very different way. He had made this beautiful trilling sound and the birds had sung back. So, so that's an example of someone who's not musical, I mean, because he yes. that would be very musical, innately musical. Um, and he had heard some music. He said, can you play da, 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 da? I thought, oh my goodness. Beethoven's fifth, I think, we're getting at. <laughs> but what I did there was, I just used that motif, and uh, we went and playing around with it. That short phrase, and he was then drumming very intensely, and I just picked out the little nugget that he'd offered me, and um, and it became, if you like, a musical play thing that engaged both of us. So uh, that's an example of someone who's not musical, but I, of course, a lot of children refer because they are musical. Um, and uh, I've worked with musicians and artists, both yes. adults and adolescents. And in fact, in, in um, eating disorders units, as they're uh, called, um, I worked for quite a time, um, uh, you will often come across um, dancers, athletes, instrumentalists, and of course, the thing that's in uh, that they all have in common is perfectionism, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, getting it right and very intense sort of um, demands of themselves. Um, so we often have some extremely good musicians, and in that respect, um, thinking of quite a few of them, is to bring them back to the simplicity of of that young boy I told you about is how simple can we be? And I would obviously not say that to them, but the instruments that are there are not uh, saxophones and clarinet, clarinets and flutes, although they're very welcome to bring those, but you'll find that they're drawn to things like a slide whistle. Uh, that's tremendously easy. It takes off the pressure. They discover they can have little conversations that I'm listening to them. And one said, how do you know what I'm playing? I said, well, I don't. I'm just trying to hang in there. And um, I, can, I can be quiet if you want me. But, oh no, it's not so much fun. So uh, you see the musicality is drawn out of basic musicality. It's where people find themselves um, in a, a more, at the implicit level, if you like, and in a more um, simple, fundamental way where they're not having to achieve, they're just being. Mm -hmm. As Winnicott said, on the Winnicott said, you know, being comes before doing. And some children who are constantly striving, they're so caught up with doing, they've forgotten what being's about. I think many of us are in that basket. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we just yeah. look at I'm still, you know, the, first of all, thank you for those two wonderful, um, well, one case example and then sort of a composite about the musicians. Um, 
I'm thinking about the boy that you were describing and this, um, his ability to make a more positive overture to the birds <laughs> that he couldn't make to you, that there was some kind of safety in that. And, and as you said, the whistle made me even making that way of extending himself more beautiful than he thought he could, you know, maybe without the whistle, not that all that's conscious, but the other thing about the reciprocity of that, of him saying, they're speaking back to me is just as powerful, isn't it? It is. Oh, thank you for, for commenting on that because you made me think about the, 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 it's the empowering nature of being able to do something where he, before he can trust the adult. Why should, why should a child trust yeah. an adult, especially if they've been badly let down by them? And so this is a, this, this, uh, singing to the birds or playing to the birds. In a way, it's, it's an example of projected play in a way. It's rather sidesteps the uh, the interpersonal relationship of child therapist. And it, it takes into the into a different arena where he's speaking to the birds, or it might be, you know, the previous girl I was talking about who uh, with the boxes, that she can contain and her stories uh, can be in a place between, as, as Winnicott described, the transitional space, the intermediate area. And so in a sense, the boy with his whistle um, and the birds singing back are in that transitional place where play began. And he began to be playful as opposed to combative. Yes. Yeah. Was, that's not the magic wand, of course. And there were, you know, there were lots of, of course where uh, where he was uh, challenging me, and you know, uh, until he'd run out of swear words and said, "You, you horrible Scottish haggis." Somehow he'd found out that I, I was from Scotland. I must have let something slip at some point. But so, <laughs> that was his worst insult he could uh, find to, to fling at me. Um, but, and, and of course, a very challenging, challenging confrontational, uh, dysregulated behaviors. And uh, you uh, just playing uh, a pulse isn't going to resolve it. And it puts therapists, uh, all of us, in a very... A difficult situation where we have to balance um, safety and respect for the child's autonomy. All those things, uh, you know, are extremely difficult, but keeping the child safe as well as uh, yourself um, as part of that is, is often quite difficult. Um, but one learns. Yes, yes. I say the music, often the it's a silence and knowing uh, actually uh, how can I say moving from music into silence into words into um, metaphoric play um, is a kind of uh, how can I say it's I was going to say a template and it sounds too fixed but there are certain strategies if you like that we have an experienced therapist have for helping in in very difficult situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, 
you know, as as we wind up down here, um, it brings me back to something that you were talking about in the beginning and how we have these words that we use in everyday language or even in the therapy world that relate, if you think about it, to music. And I'm thinking of the words pacing, timing, you know, when to say something, when not to. I mean, all of these. And, and right then I was just thinking of, you know, a rest in a piece of music, <laughs> you know, and, and, and how all of this, you know, does come together with, you know, you, it's, it's, it's when you're thinking about it, how many musical terms are in so much of what we do. It's like you said, it truly is a universal experience beginning in utero. Yes, and uh, and in terms of attachment, uh, it's a wonderful way. All the arts are a wonderful way of uh, parents and children and siblings finding that. Uh, yes, I can think of some uh, many mother mothers or fathers and sometimes families who find that uh, in an art therapy's setting beyond words, they experience it, they live it, it's embodied, and they. they feel different and it's sort of self-confirming to them something happened what was it do we talk about it maybe maybe not yes well Jackie thank you so much for your time today I know you have a book coming out in 2023 um, and you have chapters in other books and articles how about if somebody would want to reach out to you for consultation where uh, if there's any services or things that you would like to share that you have to offer please feel free to do that now. Yes, absolutely. Well, I have a website, www.jacquelinezedrobarts.com. Sorry, it's so long. But <laughs> if you Google me and play, Jackie Robarts and uh, play workshops, it usually comes up. I've been, I've been updating it. Yes, sure, I do online consultations and supervision and uh, and teaching in sort of, you know, plus eight and minus eight countries and, yeah. that and, and support supervisors as well and people outside the music therapy uh, realm who uh, just maybe want to use some techniques uh, themselves in whatever they do. Yes. Very yeah. welcome to contact me there. Yeah, so thank you so much you. for your time today. Thank you, Karen. I've much enjoyed it. Thank you and for all your good work. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. 